0: well good morning saints can you all hear me all right well it's a privilege to be with you again to open god's word our text will be found in first peter 1 first peter 1 verses 13 to 21 uh, last time i was here i think i did verses 3 to 12 so just continuing on in first peter i'd like to offer a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of illumination so would you pray with me Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be called sons and daughters of the living God. It was in your great mercy that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was in your great mercy you have given us an eternal inheritance that is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us by your power when we deserved eternal damnation because we were defiled and followed the course of this world. It is your great mercy that we encounter various trials so that our faith would be refined and our faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. It is by your great mercy that we who once were dead are able to love you by the Spirit that has been given to us. It is your great mercy that not only have you justified us, but you are progressively sanctifying us to be conformed more and more to the image of your Son. So as we turn to your word, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. Incline our hearts to your truth. Turn our eyes away from vain and worthless things. Sanctify your people by the truth. Your word is truth. Bless these precious saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, last time I was here, uh, I was saying that my wife was uh, in her third trimester, and it was just any day that my my wife would give birth and and... Thank God that she has given birth to our our fifth son, who is now two months old. His name is uh, Kander. So just a little personal update for you. And, um, you know, my wife is back to normal. She she looks as beautiful as ever. And uh, I don't know if there's a correlation between weight gain and having more children. So I don't know if you fathers can testify to that. But I have gained more weight with every single kid. So, now that gyms are open again, I decided to go to a gym. There's a gym that's near my house. It's only about two minutes away. Um, And when I first started going to the gym again, you know, I I said I would go to the gym whenever I feel like it. But you know how that goes, right? There are days where I would wake up and I'd be like, ah, I don't feel like going because it's too early or it's too cold or uh, I don't wanna catch COVID. Or maybe there are many too, pe- too many people there. So I, my bed felt more desirable than, than the gym. If only the circumstances were right, right? If, if I get a full night of sleep, if the baby's not crying through the night, it's the right temperature, uh, then I'll go. Uh, but if not, I'll just sleep for a few hours. Well, I just want to let you know I tried that out and it didn't work out so well. So instead of going when I feel like it, I, I have decided to mentally prepare to go to the gym On specific days, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. And uh, I have committed myself to go. So today, Sunday night, I'll lay out my gym clothes. I will lay out my gym towel. And uh, my alarm is going to be set. And uh, I am resolved to go. And it's been about a month and probably a couple days now. And and that has made all the difference in the world. Well, you see, many Christians tend to live their Christian lives like how I go to the gym when I just feel like it. When things are going well for them, they are blessed at their jobs, they have good relationships, finances are doing well, uh, following Jesus is great. But when things get difficult, i.e. the past year and a half, then it's easy just to coast or be spiritually lazy in the Christian life. You See, the, the Christian life is not just one of feeling, but of mental and spiritual commitment to follow Christ we must be resolved to follow him Uh, Jesus didn't tell us to follow him whenever we just feel like it if he did then none of us would follow him DA Carson says people do not drift toward holiness Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. No, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Uh, We don't drift into godliness and holiness. No, we need to resolve to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And and many Christians never progress in godliness or holiness because they just want to feel out their salvation. And because of the flesh, we never progress. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And Peter, he is trying to encourage Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor to prepare their minds for action. He he reminds us because we have received such a great and glorious salvation, we must respond with obedience and resolve. The logic of the gospel demands we respond rightly. And if we're going to respond rightly, we must resolve to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a reminder, first 12 verses, Peter reminds that we have been chosen by God the Father. We have been sanctified by the spirit we have been cleansed by the blood of jesus christ we have been born again to living hope by god's great mercy our faith is even perfected through trials as god is working all things together for our good and and we love the lord jesus christ by the spirit whom he has given us this salvation was predicted by the prophets of the old testament proclaimed by the apostles the new even angels long to look into these things and because of the this great salvation Peter exhorts us to respond rightly to this gospel, and if we are going to respond rightly to the gospel, then there will be a change in life. So today we're going to look at three proper ways to respond to the gospel. We know that repentance and faith is a proper response to the gospel, but three outworkings of repentance and faith. So if you're going to respond properly to the gospel, if you've received the gospel of your salvation that has saved you, and that you are one of his, resolve to be hopeful, be holy, and be humble. Resolve to be hopeful, be holy, and be humble. Let me read our text for us, and then we will look at how can we properly respond to the gospel. Starting in verse 13, therefore, uh, therefore points back to our great salvation in the first 12 verses. Preparing your mind This is the reading of God's holy word. So if we're going to respond to the gospel properly, uh, you need to resolve to be hopeful. That is actually the first command that we see in verse 13. In verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This past year and a half was a hope revealer. Did you know that the pandemic has led to an increase in anxiety, mental health crisis? Well, why is that? Well, because the pandemic, along with the other things we experienced this past year, reveals where our true hope lies. According to data compiled by the U.S. Census Bureau and the National Center for Health Statistics, showing that more than four in ten U.S. adults had developed symptoms of depression or anxiety by the end of 2020, a sharp increase over the results of a survey conducted in the first half of 2019. Signs of anxiety, depression has nearly quadrupled compared to results obtained before the pandemic. As hundreds of thousands have died and millions have lost their jobs, Americans are facing just a host of uncertainties with respect to their families' health, financial well-being, worries that are exasperated when they are alone and in a time of social distancing. Well, anxiety is on the rise because many of the things we hoped for are sinking sand. Well, if we hoped in health, that could be taken from you by COVID or a deadly virus. Well, you hoped in wealth, that could be taken from you by economic shutdown. If you hoped in politics, well, I don't have to say much about that. No, as believers, we hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom, his renewal of all things. Hope is faith looking forward to the future. That's why Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the completion of our salvation. So how are we to hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, notice he says, prepare your mind for actions. Prepare your mind for actions. Now, I grew up in a pretty fundamental church Uh, that use uh, the King James versions and in the King James, the the verse 13 is gird up the loins of your mind. What a cool phrase is that, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. And that has the imagery back in the ancient world where people would wear these robes and if you're going to exercise or if you're going to prepare for battle, you you would fasten your belts, you would tuck in your robe, you would gird up your loins. Maybe that's an allusion to the exodus where the Israelites were to, to fasten their belts as they were to be ready to escape from Egypt after the tenth plague had come upon the firstborn children of is, uh, Egypt. Our uh, modern idiom we use is pull yourself together, or, or, or roll up your sleeves. There, there's a mental resolve that needs to take place in the christian life if you're ever going to progress in godliness or holiness so you need to have a clear mind and clear spiritual priorities if you're going to set your hope fully on the grace that is going to reveal to you at the revelation of jesus christ but second of all he says if you're going to hope in the lord jesus christ notice in verse 13 he says be sober-minded be sober-minded. Obviously, the immediate meaning is just to be free from intoxicating substances like alcohol or marijuana or drugs. Uh, it means complete clarity of mind resulting in good judgment. Proverbs 21 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So it could also refer to anything that clouds your spiritual judgment. Think about Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. So it could be intoxicating substances, but it could just even be non-sinful things, just trivial things that become consuming things. Well, 2020, many people were glued to the screen, weren't they? Social media consumption can keep us from being Sober minded. If you're just spending all your time on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter, it is possible you can be so consumed with the immediate and the trivial or the latest breaking news that we fail to focus on the eternal. You know, there's actually a phrase for this. It's called doom scrolling. Have you heard of that? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is the act of spending an excessive amount of screen time devoted to the absorption of dystopian news. That's why people were so freaked out because anytime they would turn on social media or the news, it's just just bad news after bad news after bad news. Entertainment can dull your spiritual senses. I'm not against Netflix. I'm not against uh, Amazon Prime. I'm not against watching movies. But... Sometimes Christians can be watching questionable shows that make ungodliness look normal and godliness look strange. How many of us were stuck at home not knowing what to do for a year, so we decided to binge watch, not realizing that some of the things that we watch were worldly, and we were subconsciously absorbing worldliness. One of the reasons why the LGBTQ revolution in our day has been so successful, because it has normalized unrighteousness on the big screen and the shows we watch and the social media that we, that we turn to. It's in the television shows and the commercials and the politics. And, and we think it's okay because, hey, if, if my favorite sports star or actor is saying that it's okay, it, it must be okay, right? See, even good things can hinder our spiritual progress, whether that's career or possessions or recreation, friendships, school, You've got to be discerning on what things become consuming things and prevent you from keeping your mind set on things above. And, and sin, brothers, will definitely cloud your spiritual judgment. Sin will create a, a spiritual fog that will harden your heart that prevents you from seeing the light of God's word. did David said, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. So Christian, what are you hoping? What has this past year and a half revealed where your hope lies? What are things that are morally just weights that you need to remove in your life? Neutral things, too much time on social media, entertainment, good things, or just, just the cares of this life, Matthew 6, that prevent you from seeking the things of God. Sinful things like pornography. Older men are to be sober-minded. One of the qualifications of leadership is to be sober-minded. What impediments or weights you need to remove if you're going to be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to you when Jesus Christ comes? C.S. Lewis said that if we find ourselves a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world reading books of hopeful saints who live their lives for heaven can help you be sober-minded set your mind fully on the grace that is going to be revealed when the lord jesus comes so if you're going to respond properly to the gospel resolve to be hopeful resolve to be hopeful but, but second of all, if you're going to respond properly to the gospel, resolve to be holy. Resolve to be holy. Today, Americans typically live together a season before marriage. Christians often given to the sin of pornography. Clothing that flaunts our wealth or sexuality, materialism, and all sorts of other sins that the world tries to conform us to its image. Well, Peter says, as obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. See, holiness is not something that takes place Sunday morning from 10 to 11. It's all of life. A mark of regeneration, a mark that you have been born again, is obedience to Christ. In salvation, you not only get the gift of justification by God declaring you righteous before his throne, by the finished work of Jesus Christ, by faith in him alone, but you also get the gift of sanctification. A true salvation will not only justify you, but also sanctify you. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if we're going to be holy, there's something we must not do and something we must do. Well, notice verse 14. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Many of these believers were Gentiles or non-Jews. Their former ignorance referred to a, a life without God or our knowledge of God's law. Some of you who were converted within the past year or in the past few years, you understand what a life without God looked like. Ignorant of God's word, ignorant of God's revelation. In the ancient world, there was a plethora of Roman gods that you could worship, whether it was a, a god of drink or a god of sex or a god of sport or a god of war, you name it. And, and those gods, those idols are still alive today. We just rename it. He says, don't conform to this lifestyle. Uh, echoes of Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to this world to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul says, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. This is our life before, before we came to faith in Christ. We were born in disobedience. We were ignorant of God and His law. Our consciences were seared, yet when God, the Spirit of God opened our eyes, we were convicted of our sin and we turned to Christ. For the forgiveness of our sins. So do not be conformed to your former life. And then positively he says, Be transformed. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, Since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy. holy. He who called you is the effectual call of God. God called you in holiness. If you have read in the book of Leviticus and sometimes you you stumble over what what is the main point of Leviticus, well, I could summarize the book of Leviticus in one word for you, and that's, that's holiness. Why did God give Israel special days to worship him? Why did God give Israel such a specific... Directions on how to worship Him. Why did God give Israel special diets and 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 a host of all rules that we don't understand? Well, one of the reasons why He did that was to show them they were to be marked off and distinct from the nations around them. They were to be separate. They were to be holy, as they were to enter into the Promised Land. And the Church is also to be holy, since it is written, "You shall." Be holy, for I am holy. Quoting from Leviticus 19.2. That's where Peter is getting his language from. J.C. Ryle said, Holiness is the habit of being one mind with God, as revealed in His Word. Holiness is the habit of being one mind with God, as revealed in His Word. Like Father, like Son. If we're truly converted, we will imitate our Father. So I commend to you J.C. Rowell's book, Holiness, uh, if you want further study. Also, R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God, that's a classic text. And he says that the first and primary meaning of the term holy refers to God's transcendent majesty, his otherness, the sense in which God is different from anything in the created order. The term holy in the Old Testament was used when God consecrated to people or a place or a time and set it apart because it was different. Many Christians often speak of God in a fluffy and flowery language that often looks more like them than it does God. We often make a God in our own image when we fail to realize that God is holy and God will not tolerate sin. God is perfect in His wisdom, in His power, in His knowledge, in His justice, in His love, and His mercy, and God is holy. That's why the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy. To be holy is to separate yourself from all evil to separate yourself from worldliness. On the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, you therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And and friend, holiness often takes place in private when no one is watching you. Holiness often, the battle for holiness takes place in your mind, in your heart, in your thought life, when no one's watching you. Didn't Jesus say, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery? But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he gives these radical steps of obedience. If if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And obviously Jesus is using hyperbole. He's saying, take radical measures against sin. You give sin an inch, it will take a foothold. So are you holy, beloved? Are you holy in how you conduct yourself with the opposite sex? Are you holy in how you spend your time and your days? If we were to lay out everyone's iPhone and we look at your search history of the week, would it tell us a pattern of holiness or a pattern of worldliness? Are you holy in your thought life, in how you lead your family, in how you set apart the Lord's day? Conduct yourself in holiness. All of life is determined by God's holiness. Have you hallowed God's name in your heart? Again, J.C. Rao says, To reach the holiday of glory, we must pass through the training school of grace. We must be heavenly minded and have heavenly tastes In the life that now is, or else we shall never find ourselves in heaven. In the life to come, because heaven will be a holy place. If there are no heavenly tastes or heavenly desires now, then you might not be a Christian. Because when you get saved, God not only saves you from the penalty of sin, but he is saving you from the power of sin and renews your taste for the things of God. He renews your affections for obedience to God. There's change in your life. And if you want to grow further in change, well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2:2, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And that's a passage uh, I'll be sharing uh, the next time I'm here. Study the scriptures to renew your mind. To the young men, let no one despise you for the youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity. The church is to be holy. So membership and discipline is not just a nine marks thing. It's a, it's a Bible thing. We want to make sure that those who come into the membership are regenerate, are born again. And we want to make sure that church discipline is practiced because we want to make sure that the holiness of the church is protected. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews twelve fourteen tells us. So as a church member, it's your responsibility to lovingly correct someone gently when they're not acting in line with God's word. I'm sure you share a similar church covenant as ours where it says there is on us a special obligation to lead a holy life. See, if you have not seen a desire for holy things. Examine to see whether you are in the faith. One Puritan said this. He says, You easily persuade yourselves that Christ hath died for you and redeemed you from hell. But you consider not that, if it be so, he hath likewise redeemed you from your vain conversation and hath set you free from the service of sin. Certainly, while you find none of that, you can have no assurance of the other. If the chains of sin continue still upon you, for anything you can know, these chains do bind over you the other chains of darkness the apostle speaks us. Let us not delude ourselves if we find the love of sin in the world stronger in our hearts than the love of Christ. If we do, we are not yet partakers of his redemption. If you're going to respond properly to your great salvation, resolve to be holy, resolve to be hopeful, and finally, resolve to be humble. See a- Proper knowledge of God in his holiness will lead to humility knowing that we are not holy and that we need God to save us Peter reminds us of what a gracious and kind and glorious God we have verse 17 if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds Exile. And, and Peter gives us three descriptions of what God is like. Number one, He is the Father. So we are displaying humility before the Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Romans 8, we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Calvin said, it is God's infinite condescension that you are allowed to call Him Father. Thank you reverent and humble. He has not ceased to be the impartial judge of all men. The more truly, the more intimately we know him, the more awe and reverence we shall feel. So we are adopted children who are, we are to call as Holy Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Not only is he a gracious father, but he's an impartial judge. God does not change his ways. He does not, he does not grade on a curve. Yes, we know that we are not saved by our works, but believers, because we're saved by the work of Christ, Christ will reward believers for their faithfulness on earth as illustrated in the parable of the talents. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 that when that day comes, everything will be revealed by the fire of the refining work of Christ, I believe. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of each work one has done. Or Second Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Every one of us, as believers, will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded according to our faithfulness. And here, Peter's not telling us we, we, we have like a fear of a slave where a, a cruel master just beats the slave if he doesn't do something. No, we have the fear of a loving father. That's what it means to have a awe, a reverence of him. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is instruction in humility. Isn't it? The Proverbs tell us. Ecclesiastes tells us, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, we have God the Father, That's a reason to be humble. He is an impartial judge. And finally, the greatest reason why we need to be humble is because he's our gracious redeemer. Verse 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Slavery was very common in the ancient world. People could be enslaved either through being unable to pay a debt, or people sold themselves into slavery. Um, they could be slaves through being conquered. And the way you would be redeemed, this is the imagery Peter is using, is someone who paid your debt. And Peter saying, we were redeemed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Now, blood in the Old Testament, uh, it symbolizes the life of something. So it's not like we get to heaven and then we're all, you know, washing us or we're getting into a fountain, a bloodbath. No, when the Bible speaks of being washed by the blood, it's speaking of the violent sacrificial of death of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Speaking of the sacrifice of Christ, calls Christ the lamb without blemish or spot. And that's all over throughout the Old Testament. You think about the Passover lamb, you think about the sacrificial system that the people of Israel were to offer a lamb, unblemished, spotless, and they were to give their best to the Lord. And that was all previewing the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in the words of Isaiah, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not its mouth. So Christ Jesus the Lamb of God whom John the Baptist saw. He takes away the sins of the world by becoming one of us, by living a perfect life, by obeying God, by being completely holy and undefiled, yet on the cross being treated as a sinner because we are not holy and because we are defiled and because we are blemished. And God pours out all His wrath on Jesus at the cross. And He raises His Son from the grave so that we can be holy. We can be justified. We can be sanctified. God will complete that work that He began in us when He returns. And this was all known before the foundation of the world. This was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. God knew that Adam would fall. God knew in His sovereignty everything that would take place. How that all works out, you can ask Pastor Jeremy. Amazing thing that God did this before the foundation of the world. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, nor that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He did it for us. And it's through Christ, not through Muhammad, not through the saints, not through Mary, that we alone are justified. Through him, verse 21 are believers in God. He is the only mediator between God and man. And it's through him, God raised Christ from the grave and gave him glory, referring to his ascension. And now our faith and hope are in God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because he was raised from the dead, he sits at the right hand of of our Father God. We can have hope because our mediator lives forever to make intercession to those who belong to him. You cannot get to heaven without Christ. That's why Peter tells us to set our hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to us. That's why to properly respond to the gospel, we are to be holy and we are to be humble. We are to conduct ourselves in fear while we are in exile in this world. Well, on June 3rd, 2017, Alex Honnold did something no one had done before. Uh, This was filmed in the documentary Free Solo. He climbed El Capitan at Yosemite National Park. I I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite and seen El Capitan, but that is a a massive mountain. And what makes it so amazing is this guy did it without ropes. He just had a chalk bag and this thing was so dangerous that it could cost him his life with one misstep one misplaced foot one misplaced hand and the only way he can go was up so for many years he would visualize he would practice with ropes he, he was he was preparing himself to climb this mountain and this guy was so committed and so resolved That on June 3rd, 2017, with no ropes, in three hours and 56 minutes, he climbed El Capitan. See, to be a Christian takes that type of resolve and commitment. Uh, We sing an old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, there's no turning back. And if we're going to follow Christ, we must resolve to be hopeful, resolve to be holy and resolve to be humble because God is our loving Father, impartial judge, and gracious and glorious Redeemer. And friend, if you're not a Christian, have you been redeemed by Christ's blood? Because He offers salvation to you. He gave His life for you if you would repent of your sins and trust in Him. He gives you eternal life so that He would bring you into His family, the church so that you could call upon Him as a loving Father, as a glorious Redeemer. If you have not done so, you can do that today. Call upon Him because God is merciful and God will make you new. He will make you holy and prepare you for the life that is to come. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for those of us who have been saved, we, we understand our former life without Christ. How empty and futile that was. How that led to a dead end. How that led to us being thirsty in our souls. Our souls find rest in you and you alone. Thank you for saving us according to your great mercy. So help us, Lord, with all the craziness that has gone on, all the trials that my brothers and sisters have faced. Help us to hope in you. We pray your kingdom would come. We pray your will would be done in our lives because whatever you ordain is right, Lord. And Father, we pray that we would be holy. Help us to examine ourselves, to see what impediments or what sins we need to lay aside so that we can be sober-minded, to be prepared for the things that are to come. Thank you for being a loving Father, an impartial judge, and a glorious Redeemer. Even when we deserved your wrath, you have given us eternal life in your Son. So we bless you, Father, Son, and Son and Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.